Building BuildWit is a short podcast series telling the story of how Dirt Talk host Aaron Witt went from a lover of the trash truck as a kid to starting the business that became BuildWit. In episode two, we'll hear from Aaron as he starts his college education in civil engineering, begins posting pictures of equipment to Instagram, and learns he knows nothing about marine construction. I'm Alex Horton, and this is Building BuildWit. I, in high school, was not a phenomenal student. Pretty much B's and C's, I'd say. Some D's. I had to repeat some classes. And I, for whatever reason, got into advanced placement calculus my senior year. At the end of advanced placement calculus, you take the advanced placement test, which then could apply for college credit when you get to college. I was the only kid in the class that did not pass the advanced placement calculus test. Yet, I'm one of the only kids if not the only kid in that class, to then go to engineering school. But I only went to engineering school because Rich Pearson said, well, I went to engineering school. And so, fuck, okay, great. I'll go to engineering school too. I, I had never met an engineer up to that point. I, had, I, had, I knew nothing about engineering school. And when I say I knew nothing, I knew nothing about engineering school. I just thought, how hard can it be? I get into engineering school and I am just like, what in the fuck have I done? Because it's calculus, it's linear algebra, it's statistics, it's statics, dynamics, deformable solids, thermodynamics, circuits. It's just all it is, is really hard math, really, really hard math. And then you do calculus one and then you go to calculus two, you do calculus two, you go to calculus three. So the first year I'm just sitting around like, what in the hell have I done? I filled out the paperwork to switch into construction management. But for whatever reason, I just didn't pull the trigger. So I start school civil engineering. I find out they have a program called construction engineering, which was kind of like civil, but more geared towards the practical side of building shit. I found out that there's construction management, which is far simpler than engineering because you basically remove all of the math from school remove the heavy-duty math. I filled out the paperwork to switch into that. For whatever reason, never switched. Aaron gets a rude awakening in college, but decides to just put his head down and dig in. I go to a career fair to go learn about the construction companies of Phoenix. Funny enough, I mean, I'm sure Blunt was probably there. Hunter is there, who's a, a customer of ours. Rommel was probably there. Like all the companies we know very well today were probably at this career fair. I go to this career fair. I meet this guy, uh, Chris Cometti, who worked at Markham. He was an engineer, professional engineer. So he was drawn to me because I was an engineering student, not one of the construction kids, but in the construction engineering program, which was unique. He had an affinity for that program. I told him I just got done working for Pearson Construction Corporation, which was Markham, one of Markham's competitors. I was looking for another job that coming summer because Pearson was winding down. Rich Pearson got to the age where, hey, we finished this job. I'm just going to liquidate the company and send everybody off into different companies like we talked with Eric about. Here's Eric Smith, who was one of Aaron's foremen at Pearson back in the mid-2010s. When I left Pearson, 
that was it. I want to say I was the last one, but I was one of the last groups of guys that left that mm-hmm. was done. He was then he was done. It yeah. wasn't like you showed up, which you hear these stories of people and the doors are locked. <laughs> Like, hey, you know, the, the gas card doesn't work anymore. And, you know, but he, he, you know, I think he gave us like eight months and said, hey, uh-huh. you know, after these couple jobs, that's it. I'm done. So Aaron tells Chris Cometti that he needs a job and soon gets an offer to go work for Markham during the school year. I'm in the office doing um, some basic estimating, some safety, paperwork. Basically, again, I would show up at the office and I'd walk around the office and be like, what do you guys got for me to do? And whatever they told me to do, I would do. But it was unique because I got exposed to different projects and how bidding comes together and what a safety program looks like, just very basically. But it was, I think, a good experience. I would just work one day a week. And then, because I had classes the rest of the days. And then I got to, it was coming up on summer and I asked, can I work full time for the summer? And they said, sure. But I told them, I want to be in the field. I don't want to be in the office. So they said, okay, whatever you want, go in the field. So I start with Markham out in the field. I had a little bit of construction experience, not much, but I at least knew what the hell was going on. The project I think they started me out on was in Tempe. We were working with scrapers digging out a canal, which was really unique. So we had 627 push-pull scrapers. I feel like my foreman was Billy, just this big, like traditional foreman kind of guy. Wore a Rolex and, and, he, and he was proud of it. He, this is a real Rolex. Like he, he'd done well for himself. He was proud of, he loved what he did. And I would run around and do whatever the hell I was told. So I would help with grade checking. I'd help with getting trucks in and out of the site, taking tickets, that kind of thing, telling the trucks where to dump, uh, grease machines, whatever the hell I needed to do. Every once in a while, I'd get lucky and get into the loader and get to move stuff around here or there, just play around essentially. We, we do that job. I go to another job. It's a residential subdivision. We're finished grading. I get to learn the basics of grade checking there, which was really cool. The foreman explained that to me. They're basically just bouncing me around. I finally end up at Buckeye at Verado, this massive subdivision they're building up against the mountains west of Phoenix. So it was a hell of a drive. I was driving like 50 minutes out there every morning. You show up there at five, huge crew, huge job. Markham, I think it was Markham's biggest job at the time. Massive job. There's earth moving out there. There's scrapers, there's excavators, haul trucks, and and then the, the dirt work had started to, to slow down, and that's when the pipe started to take over. So they had tons of pipe crews out there, and I was appointed to one of the pipe crews as a general laborer. And I don't know how or why I might have asked for it, but I feel like it was just dumb luck. So the first few weeks I'm out there, they actually have me, I'm actually not on a pipe crew, they have me following a pipe crew with a jumping jack. In Arizona, you put water line in the ground about four feet below the surface. You can keep it pretty low because there's no risk of freezing. And then you, uh, you backfill with aggregate base AB out there to about one foot over pipe. And then you have to compact it in the trench with a jumping jack. Anybody that's run a jumping jack knows they are a pain in the ass. It is such a fucked up little machine. And usually you're using it for 10 minutes at a time. So you can deal with it but I would be on it for the entire day. 
So I'd start with it, I'd end with it. And that was my full-time job was backfilling and compacting waterline trench, just endless thousands and thousands and thousands of feet, endless waterline trench. Finally make it onto a pipe crew. And the foreman is Jose Angulo. And I'm with probably three other guys. So it's about four Mexican guys and me. And I'd work with these Mexican guys before at Pearson. I started to understand the culture. It's a different culture. And I think it's fantastic. But I knew that I just needed to prove myself as quickly as possible. So I did the exact same thing with them. How can I make their jobs easier? How can I learn as quickly as I can, cut the pipe, measure things, get them the tools, make sure everything is ready for them to do their job? And then once you get in, you're part of the family. It's a really, because the, the, the family units within the Mexican culture are everything. There's big families. They're very tight-knit. There's tons of cousins and uncles and huge family gatherings. So it's, it's more of a family environment. So once you become part of the family, they take you in and they really care for you. And so then all of a sudden, their wives are making me burritos. They're teaching me all the bad, the bad language. Jose is just this fucking animal. He's just running all over the place. I mean, he's like just the energizer, but he does not stop, never stops moving. No lunch or anything like that. He just sends it all day. He's in, he's in the excavator. He's out of the excavator. He's in the trench. He's cutting pipe. He's yelling at everybody, but he does it in like a, a funny way. And he's, he's telling you to go fuck yourself. And you're telling him, no, fuck you, but all in Spanish. It's just crazy. And that was, that was maybe the most fun I'd had at work ever. Because you're with this people, this with this group of people that's really looking out for you. You're busting your ass. You're getting shit done. You're good at what you do because these guys were just so professional, so buttoned up. Their production numbers were extraordinary. You're just getting shit done while having a good time. These jobs were obviously fun, but they were also hugely educational. I mean, I learned how to run an excavator on that job. I learned how to run a loader, a pipe loader. Learned how to bag pipe. I learned how to cut pipe. Uh, straight. I learned how to lay pipe. I learned how to lay fire hydrants. I learned how to, uh, you know, work with mega lugs. And I, I did so much learning on that project because that was when the first summer, just kind of a laborer. Second summer, once I'd proven myself and I was on that crew, I got to go do a little bit of everything. And that first summer was, it was big concrete pipe. It moved slow. You're not really getting big production numbers. On the second summer, it was sewer and water. So you're just locked and loaded. You are moving all day. You're bringing pipe in, you're swinging it in, you're backfilling. You're, you're just hauling ass the entire time. So I had a ton of fun working with that crew. And Jose would still call me every once in a while afterwards. <clears throat> He's super hard to understand on the phone. He'd, he invited me to like, you know, birthday parties at his house, pig roast. Oh yeah, we're cooking a pig in the driveway. Come on by. And you walk up, there's a a fucking pig being butchered in the driveway. You're like, check. Yep. Here we are. So I talked to Chris Cometti after that summer ends. So I go into my sophomore year. <clears throat> I work a little bit for Markham if they're working on a Saturday or something like that, running an excavator, doing whatever I could. But he had kind of given me the advice that was like, hey, if you really are serious about this path, you're going to need to go get some management experience at some point. And you probably want to do that before you graduate college. So reluctantly, I'm like, all right, uh, I just want to go back out of the field. I just want to go back on the crew with Jose. I just want to go blow and go. I just want to go fuck off for another summer. I just want to go build shit. I just want to have a good time. 
But Aaron bites the bullet and decides it's probably a good idea to go to the career fair again. And one of the companies there was Skanska. And I'd seen Skanska all that summer working for Markham because they were building a bridge right down the street from where Markham was at, this big interstate bridge on, um, on I-10. But I'd seen the Skanska trucks and it just looked cool. It's like, man, these guys, these guys know what the hell is going on. And then they're swinging in these big girders and, and it's just like, they're professional. This is big time construction. You could tell they were just big time construction. According to their website, Skanska Group has 30,000 plus employees worldwide with over 17 billion in revenue in 2021. Like Aaron said, big time. So I start talking to them and explain my background and at that point in school, no one has experience. <laughs> so, so every other kid is like, well, you know, my, my grades are this and I'm in this class and this and that. And I'm able to come into these conversations like, yeah, I, I was a laborer with Pearson Construction Corporation. Then I worked in the office for Markham. Then I was back out on a pipe crew. I can run equipment. I can do whatever. I, whatever. I, 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 I've, been in, I've been around the block a little bit. So Skanska says, fuck, all right, we'll, we'll bring you on. So I get on as a field engineer intern for Skanska, making, I think at that point, $15 an hour. So I was, I was moving up. I was like, man, I'm field engineer intern. I'm making, making this money. Life's going to be good. And then I ask them what project I'm going to go on. They say, well, we're doing this, we're doing that. But there's this, there's this railroad project coming up. I get sent out to Tucson. So they were paying, I think at the time, it was $120 a day per diem for management. And I was making $15 an hour on top of that. And in the mornings, I would wake up at about 2.30. We'd meet at the gas station at about 3. I'd get in with one of the guys in their truck. And we would haul ass out to the middle of the desert. So we were working 50 or 60 miles outside of Yuma in California. So we're staying in Arizona. We would drive out into California. You drive down I-8 towards San Diego. You take a right into the middle of fucking nowhere. And after you drive down for a while, 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 you hit this little town called Glamis, California. Glamis has virtually no permanent structures, aside from a few stores with one called Glamis Beach Store. You don't really have to get more original than that for a name because Glamis is out there. A lot of people know Glamis because that's where the sand dunes are. So Glamis, like Thanksgiving time, is popping off. RVs everywhere, side-by-sides everywhere, dune buggies. The place is lit. But June for Glamis, California, there is not a single person to be found anywhere. There's just the U.S. military dropping bombs out there because there's fucking nothing. So you hit Glamis, you're on a road, you take a right, and you go down this dirt and sand road for probably 15 miles. But we're not even in Glamis. We're like 15 miles outside of Glamis, and that's the thing with the railroad is they put the railroad where people are not. So this is mainline, sunset route, Union Pacific track. We're out there, we're in this little job trailer. We'd get in at about four in the morning every day and we were building bridges on the railroad. This particular route was extremely busy. It's actually a double main line. So the first track was built and then an additional main line was built right next to it. 
That line runs something like 120 trains a day, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. So when Aaron made it out there, the crew was replacing old bridges on the original main line. So in the, in the desert, there's no water, but there's a lot of washes. And when it rains, it pours. So you need all of these bridges along these natural washes along this, this rail line. That's a little elevated off the desert floor. Since I'm the intern, my main job was the pile driving operation. So we would come in, we'd cut the track, we would demo everything, and then everything was steel H pile. It is loud, it is obnoxious, the pile hammers raining oil down on you. It's a gnarly roll. The guys that would work on the pile hammer were some badass dudes because it was, it was hard work. And as you drive the pile, you basically, you need to do what's called blow counting. So you sit there and you basically count. One, two, three. So you watch the clock every minute. How many times did the pile hammer hit the pile? And you count that. And then you're also counting how many blows per foot. And once you reach a certain point, the bearing capacity, you can say, we're good to go. We're all good here. So that was my job. And then I would basically have to go put all of this into a spreadsheet to go submit. It was a submittal to the Union Pacific Railroad to say, hey, this is where this pile is driven. This is where this pile is driven. This is where this pile is driven. And if you drive it too far, you're wasting all of this money. If you drive it too little, it can settle over time as trains go over it. So it was a, a ridiculous amount of responsibility for a kid that was 20 years old. And it was not the most fun job. And by not the most fun, it was totally miserable. But that's what I was doing out there. Um, and then all the while, you would get your pile set, you get your lead set. And then on the radio, the flagger's like, hey, train's coming in 10 minutes. And you're like, damn it. And so you basically, tra train's coming through. You basically just have to take your hands off everything. Loaded freight train rips through there. And... I don't know if anybody's stood next to a freight train full speed, fully loaded Union Pacific. It is, it is terrifying. So that's what you're dealing with nonstop. Every once in a while, Aaron would get two days off in a row and he'd drive home to Phoenix and pal around with his friends. But things weren't quite how they used to be. Everybody's just being a kid, living their lives. And I'm working on the railroad. So you go home and it's like a little bit of a tease because you go back to normal life as a kid. And then two days later, and it's like normal life Tuesday, Wednesday, because you're not going to get a weekend off or whatever it is because you're working on the railroad. They don't care. That was the first exposure to working away from home, kind of just being on your own. It's super isolating. I go to work then in Tacna, Arizona, after that Union Pacific job wrapped up for another Union Pacific job. So this time I was staying in Welton, Arizona, which Yuma at least had a Chipotle and a Chick-fil-A. Welton had some shithole pizza restaurant in a gas station. There was nothing else there. So it was, you bring all of the food you need to consume or else you're not eating. There wasn't anything like that. I would drive out there. I'd stay in the micro hotel, this shitty hotel. They, at that point, they'd given me a company truck. So I thought I was pretty cool because I was driving some garbage ram truck that said skansk on the side i felt like i was a badass but i just lived in my truck on that job at that point for weeks and weeks and weeks 
And the only bright part about that job was there was a little market about 20 miles away called Gonzo's. Gonzo's Tacna Market. So you go in and the first, I mean, it's this, it is a, it has been there for a while. So it, it, it you'd blink and you miss it. You go in, it's just kind of dusty, dirty, the parking lot's unpaved. You go in, the first thing you see is like the cologne stand. And the cologne's probably been sitting there for seven years or whatever it is. And and you have all these all these models, you know, the pictures and everything like that. And they sold some beer and some food. But then off to the left, you had this little older lady in a kitchen, full kitchen, cooking Mexican food. So I'd go in there and get these breakfast burritos. To this day, still the best breakfast burritos I have ever had in my entire life. So while I was on the railroad in 2015, the drives were long and it was just miserable. You'd be out in the middle of nowhere. So I'd listen to podcasts a lot. And Andy Frisella had come out with a podcast called the MF CEO Project. I was following him before he came out with this podcast because I was into cars and car pages. And he was a part, he was like a sponsor for this, the gold rush rally, I think it was. And he had one of his Lamborghinis. And I'm like, who the hell is this Andy Frisella guy? And then you go to his page and he's posting all these cool cars. I'm like, damn, this guy, this guy's badass. This is sweet. And then he starts a business podcast and I start listening to it. And he had a lot of episodes on, they were just, up, it, the, the business information on this, on this podcast was just remarkable. Stuff I'd never heard before. But, but so simply put, he was just, just so real about everything. And he was talking about personal branding, social media, and how that's essentially the future. And he said, if I were an individual, I would be trying to build my personal brand about whatever it is I can build my brand about. And so I started to think about what's my brand? What's my unique story? How do I use social media to, to go do this? And I think I was listening to one of his episodes for like the fourth time on personal branding as I was riding my bike home from college class. And it somewhat just clicked like, oh, I have all these pictures and videos from Kiwit and from Skanska and from my time in the industry. I don't, I start posting those. And, and so I went home, I go to my desk, I take out a, a legal pad and I write down a bunch of the names of the Instagram account I could go create because I was going to go to Instagram. That was the first, first platform for sure. And I write down all the names. I settle on BuildWit. It's available. I make the account BuildWit. And then I go to my phone. I go through, scroll through all my photos and favorite all of my construction photos that I'd had on my phone from all the years, put it into a, a folder, and then start sharing those photos. And then I started, you know, a few weeks go by. <laughs> you know, no, no one's really liking them. It's, it's me and my friend Kevin liking every, every photo to start. And then a few weeks go by and people start to notice and dang, I got a hundred likes. That's, that's crazy. And I get a little bit more, I get a little bit more, but then I run into a problem where, shoot, I don't have, I don't have enough pictures. <laughs> I need to go out. And for the first time, I need to go out and take heavy equipment construction pictures because I need more content on here. <laughs> I didn't realize, oh man, to go build a brand, you need to do this for a while. And I didn't have nearly enough. I just started my career. So that's, that was the motivation to go take my drone that I just bought and go out to those construction projects around the Phoenix area. To a lot of companies, 
that we work with today. <laughs> like Rumble, for example, you know, it's just on, we're, we're posting a Rumble video tomorrow. They've been great to us and every SAP just acquired them and we work with every SAP. But before it was, where's, where's Rumble at? And I would talk to Lewis, who, who helps us with social to this day. And he, he'd do everything. And you'd talk to other few people around Phoenix and where the earth moving operations and, oh, dang, there's a D10 over here. And you'd, you'd be going over there on your spare time. It was just every minute of the day I was focused on taking pictures of heavy equipment and making this build with thing into something. So all of a sudden, Aaron is posting photos to Instagram under the name BuildWit. And at this point, it's truly just a social media account of Aaron's photos that he thought were cool. That's it. His main focus was still school. So I get into my junior year of college. I am, at this point, pretty deep in, into engineering school. I'm doing some construction management classes, like heavy equipment and estimating and project management. But at this point, the classes are more frustrating than exciting because it's all theory. And I'd been out into the field for three years now. I kind of understood how things were built a little bit. And what I was learning in school just didn't align at all with reality. So the classes were, were somewhat frustrating. Most of the construction management classes were um, building construction anyway, not civil. So it'd be estimating and you'd be doing the math. The next summer I was going to go do management again, because that's what I needed to do to tee myself up. But there was no chance in hell I was going to work in Arizona again for a summer. No chance. I was at that point, I'm like, fuck the heat. And there was this company that had one hell of a reputation that I'd, I'd heard about that I'd always wanted to work for. Kiwit. Peter Kiwit. Uncle Pete. Kiwit is another major player in the industry. If you've spent any time in the construction industry, you've heard something about him. You know what's up. According to Forbes.com, Kiwit, founded in 1884, employs around 30,000 people just in the United States. Again, pretty big time. Early in my junior year, I signed up for this competition. People just call it Reno, and it's in Reno. So we, you, you form these teams of like five to six kids, and they give you a mock project. They give you a project that they have basically done in the past. And they say, here's the plans, here's the specs, here's everything you need to know, here's, here's, here's the, the details, the parameters. You have to put a bid together, and you have to submit the bid and there's a legitimate bid opening. You have to put it in a sealed envelope by this time. And they open the bids up in front of everybody. And the heavy civil team was full at Arizona State University. But these kids had gotten together and started another team. And it was the Marine construction team. <laughs> but we're in Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> there's no Marine construction. So the heavy civil team had the, the sponsors. They had the people from the construction companies helping, out, helping them out. Us marine construction team, we were like the misfits and we had no resources whatsoever. So we do a little bit of practicing, but it's more so just fucking off. So Aaron and the team go to Reno and they're given an office to use, which is really just a hotel room that has a table and chairs instead of a bed. At 6 a.m. the next morning, they're given the bid info and then have 12 hours to work on the bid before submitting it, with the next day being the bid opening ceremony. So I go there, the sponsor for the marine construction problem is he would so they give us this pier expansion in the port of seattle i remember this project i've actually i'm familiar with this project now and this was before i had done pile driving and most of it was pile driving <laughs> so it was some demolition mostly pile driving a lot of concrete some dredging it was marine construction you're building a pier 
and uh, building a, a new part of the port out into the water in the, the port of Seattle. So Aaron's team starts building the marine construction bid and realizes that they're in way over their head. Sorry, that was bad. Anyway, the team is having to look up even the most basic concepts like, what the hell is a pile hammer? Or what are leads? Like, oh, uh, I don't think we need leads. Like, okay, yeah, well, we just won't put leads in the bid. It's like, you can't drive a pile without leads. Like stuff like that. We just, we had no idea what the hell we're doing. We submit our bid. And the thing is, again, it's opened in front of everybody, in front of all the teams and everything like that. So you know who's good and who's a fucking idiot. We're dead last by like a wide margin. It was either we like, like way underbid the project or way overbid the project. We weren't even we weren't even near the ballpark. And you could tell the Kiwit judges, which are all mostly old time Kiwit people, were so unimpressed. And then you go into a career fair right after that. Now, even if you lose, you have to be an idiot, a total idiot, to walk out of the career fair without a job at this deal. That's the biggest thing. You go do it. You okay, great. The competition's one thing. You you win, whatever. But you want to go to the career fair. So at the career fair at Skanska and, and Sukit and Kiwit and, and all these big contractors, I go talk to the judges with Kiwit and I say, hey, what are you guys doing for work? I'd love to come work for you, so on and so forth. They say, well, give us a shout whenever you want. I apply, I interview, I get the job, and they say, give us your preferred locations. And I say, Hawaii, Washington, Oregon. That's where I want to go. They don't tell you where you're going to go until a month before you go. In April, I'm with my friend DJ in a place called Mount Vernon. Small town, small town. We decide for whatever reason, we go to the fucking the Tulip Festival. There's a big deal up there in the, the Skagit Valley. There's all these tulip fields and you go out there and, oh, wow, we're in tulips. Oh, wow, this is so beautiful, whatever. Let's post on Instagram, that kind of thing. So we're up in we're up in Skagit Valley. We're up in Mount Vernon, by or you know Bellingham or whatever it was, random ass place. I get a call from Kiwit from the project manager. Hey, you know I'm Dustin. I'm your project manager. You're going to go to Washington State, and we're we actually have a project in Mount Vernon. And I'm like, what the fuck? I, I'm in Mount Vernon right now. Like, what are the odds of that? That I'm in this small ass Washington town, and this is where I'm going to be working for the summer. And I was looking around. I was like, damn. This is pretty cool. And he says, yeah, we are, we're doing quarrying. So we're making stones for a jetty project in the Columbia River. And I ask him, so what kind of, what kind of equipment do you have? Because of course I wanted to know. It's quarrying. And I'd never been around quarrying before. I'd, I knew nothing about it. He's like, well, we're doing a lot of drilling and blasting. And we have a, a PC-2000. I'm like, wow. Oh. And I Google, Google Komatsu PC-2000. I look at it. I'm like, holy shit. Like, that is a... That is the it was the biggest machine I'd ever been around at the time. And I was over the damn moon about it. And all the while, Aaron continues to take photos of big equipment. That's episode two of Building Buildwit. Stay tuned for episode three, where Aaron tells of his time at Kiwit, how he ended up in Texas, and why he was called to stop doing construction altogether. Building Buildwit is produced by Harrison Smith and me, Alex Horton. Thanks for listening. <laughs>